Alright, welcome back to Sloydcast. I am your host, Mark Angelini, and unfortunately today I'm not joined by Mike. He uh, had to work today. He does have a full-time job as a park ranger, and uh, we just weren't able to line everything up. So unfortunately, he is only here in spirit. But today we are also joined by the one and only Joge Sundqvist, and I'm, uh, I've been practicing pronouncing that. For the past week, so I don't know how I did, how I did on that, but uh, welcome to the podcast. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. I mean, if you don't call me Yogi like Yogi Berra, like all <laughs> the other Americans do, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a Joga, right? Joga. Joga. Yeah. Joga. A little shorter. Okay. Yeah, Joga. That's good. Yeah, I'll, I'll work on it. <laughs> well, um, yeah. thank you for joining us today, and you're coming in from northern Sweden, right? That's right. I'm situated in a in a town called Umeå up in the very north of of Sweden. We have about three hours drive to the the Arctic Circle, three and a wow. half hours drive That's up there. Amazing. So right now it's about the darkest part, you know, of the year. It's right. it's totally. We had some snow a few days ago, and everything lightened up, and then mm. the rain came and washed it away. So. Today we said, is the sun, you know, all, you know, closed down or what happens? <laughs> so dark this morning, so wow. we couldn't believe it. How many hours of daylight do you get this time of year? Oh, yeah, the, the sun comes up about 9, 9.30 and goes down around 2 o'clock, something wow. like that, 2, 2.30, yeah. That's wild. So, yeah, but I grew up with it, so I'm 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 not you know I, I don't bother that much. Yeah, totally normal. Yeah. and it's in the yeah. summer. It's the opposite, right? It's sunny most of the day, right? Yeah, During, all night long. All night I mean, long. It's 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 light. Uh, the sun goes down, but it's still so you can you can see. It's it's <laughs> a little. It's not dark at all. It's it's light all yeah. That's amazing. all night long. I've never experienced anything it's like amazing. that. Yeah. So you you can you can be out, but it's it's a lot of mosquitoes too. So uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not very fun. <laughs> Try to. Yeah. Well, um, I've got a lot of different questions I'd love to ask you, and the first one we like to ask a lot of our guests is kind of, can you give us a sense of what your life is like up there in uh, Umea and? Um, just kind of what you, I mean, I know a lot of people know who you are, but for those that don't, uh, and those that do, give us a little sense of what your life is like and um, how you make a living and what craft, how craft fits into your life. Yeah. Was that one question or many? That's <laughs> <laughs> like three questions in one. <laughs> yeah, everything. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, uh I started to do craft, you know, professionally in 1985 uh, after taking a two-year folk high school, we call them, in, in Sweden. Okay. Uh, which is called um, a slide school, so mm. to say. And that was two years I uh, was in that school. And that really, you know, helped me broader my my craft my way of, of doing craft because mm -hmm. because before that i had been doing knives and some jewelry and sold you know huh. more privately but at that time i worked at the railroad 
uh, and I was kind of, you know, wanted to do something else. And in Sweden, you could, can be free for studies. You know, you can uh, be free from your work for, for two years, for example, and then study something else. Yeah. You're allowed to do that without losing your job, so to say. So I took the opportunity to do that when I was in my early 20s. And um, I'm really glad about that education. Uh, in my class, Beth Moen was one of them hmm. who were there. Roman Passion is another craftsman. Yep. And many of the students uh, became craft consultants later on. and. Hmm. So it, they are still my network, so to say. Right. And at that school, I, I had the, the opportunity to make bigger furniture, you know, like cupboards and chairs and all that kind of stuff. So I really broadened my, my, my knowledge is there. Yeah. Because I had been growing up with a father who was very much into craft, Ville Sundqvist, and he had made a, a lot of spoons at home and, um, you know, different kind of knife-based work. Yeah. And yep. also he was a trained carpenter from Karl Malmsten. So he, he actually was, you know, on a very high level. But the fun part with that is that Karl Malmsten, who was a, uh, one of the the most estimated designers, furniture designers in wood in Sweden, and still is. He he saw that my father was was very skilled at using the knife, so he uh, he encouraged him to to teach you know spoon making hmm. and use the knife more. So I think actually that became you know. That's one of the reasons why my father finally picked that, you know, path in his life hmm. to to work uh, traditionally, you know, because he had this very well-known uh, and uh, famous man, Kolman Stin, told him that you should take care of that knowledge, so to say. Hmm. Uh, but that's another story. And then I worked for about... Uh, I think it was 13 years or something like that, half time with craft. But it, it wasn't half time at all because <laughs> at the same time, I was actually playing in, in a, uh, some rock and roll bands in my uh, city, in Umeå city. It's a university town and it's quite big for being up in the north. Right. And we recorded records and we were touring. And after a few years, uh, we started a record label called huh, Jacaranda wow. Records, and we bought a studio. Huh. And um, the top of that story was actually when we we bought the the mixer board from Pink Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's amazing! Yeah. yeah, they had an album called Animals, and they had a twenty-four channel mixer board that was for sale and we bought that so <laughs> wow my solo record from 1992 is recorded on that mixer board i'm very proud of that <laughs> that's awesome wow that's amazing i had no idea yeah so but then we then in my 
early 30s, we, we bought a farm outside Umeå because I was kind of fed up with, on rock and roll business and all that stuff. So I sold mm-hmm. my parts in, in that company. Uh, and I sold the record company too to some younger guys. And um, then I started to restore an old uh, house called Vesterbotten House. That's the name of the county where I come from. Okay. And uh, then I had to actually, you know, learn about logs, about big timber, about hmm. hand plating, you know, um, ceilings and floors and all that stuff and old right. windows, how to restore them. So I tore the whole uh, main building apart, mainly, you know, not the logs, though, but it was only the logs still yep. left. And it's a pretty long building. It's about 18 by 6 meters. And it's, uh, so it's, it's pretty much to do. So I, yeah. I, I actually restored that uh, together with my wife, Nina, for about uh, five years. Huh. And you know what it is. About the same time, I was actually, you know, we had, in, had two kids, you know, <laughs> we... A little goat, we had some chicken, we had, you know, everything like that. Farming yeah. some potatoes, you know, vegetables, stuff like that. So it took it, its time, you know, to do that. But then finally, in 97, we, we moved in. Hmm. And then I told my wife, now I really want to go full-time working with craft hmm. because I knew that I could both teach one-week classes all over the world. I actually started teaching in the United States, 86, at country workshops. Uh-huh. So uh, and she said, yeah, let's try that. And um, yeah, that's the way it is. I, you know, been been actually, you know, earning my money full-time since then on, on craft. That's amazing. Yeah, and, um, you is. know, it really is, especially in today's world. Um, and it's interesting because uh, I feel like maybe, I don't know if this is 100% true or not, but it seems like between you and your father, you guys kind of helped to spread the Sloyd and spoon carving um, movement, as it, as it were. Because um, I've even, my, my uncles, I gave, one, uh, gave them some hand-carved spoons several years back. And um, yeah. They said, "Oh wow, yeah, this is like when we went to that uh, the the Willie Soonquist, uh class at Country Workshops, and this must have been back oh, in is the that right? yeah, I think it was oh. back in the probably was the early '90s when they went there, and and yeah, they took a class with your dad. Um, so it's interesting, but I just hear more and more when, I, especially with this podcast, talking to people, it seems like if we go back to the roots, you know, your you and your dad have influenced a lot of people across the planet." to uh, get into Sloyd and you've sort of spread the idea of Sloyd uh, in modern times, as far as I can tell, um, you can correct me if, if I'm not right, but um, I just find it really fascinating that that's, you know, that's kind of how I got into this is because you were doing it <laughs> more or less. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm happy, but I'm happy to hear that. And, and the, 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 the good thing with my father, he was a, a school teacher, you know, when 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 I was young, he he worked as a teacher for Sloyd in school, mm-hmm. you know, for children learning woodworking in school, and he 
has always been very keen on that people really should learn, you know. Right. Because he knew how uh, the the satisfaction with how to make things with uh, kind of easy tools, you know, with yeah. an axe, with a knife, with a saw and stuff like that. So I think he, he really wanted people to to have that feeling themselves, to, mm-hmm. to practice till they get, you know, it's just coming by naturally for yeah, them to, to do. Yeah. And I kind of feel I inherit that, you know, feeling too, because I, I get really happy when I see that people pick up, you know, mm. a special, you know, a special grit, what do you say? And, and, uh, you know, really learn it. And when I can see the joy in their eyes mm. and their hands that they, you know, because it's, it's going to be something that they carry all their life. And, right. and for me, it's the same, it's the same, you know, happiness in, in, in making things. Uh-huh. I feel the same, you know, comfort and joy in it. So I want everybody else to feel the same. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so inspiring people, you know, has been one of the, one of my main uh, driving forces for teaching, you know. But then, of course, on the other hand, I have my own uh, workmanship or slidemanship or <laughs> yeah, artmanship, yeah. or what you say, you know, uh, when I'm developing, you know, the traditional works in, in new ways that I want to do. But that's another story and another driving force. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I've got a lot of questions to ask you about your work. Um, but before we get there, I would love for you to tell us, because your your father um, was so foundational, I mean, he wrote the book, you know, as it were about Swedish spoon carving and Sloyd that has instructed so many people. It was one of the first books that I bought as soon as it was reprinted. And um, I've learned a lot from yeah. just, you know, reading it and trying some of the different techniques. Um, but you were telling me when we talked last about how he grew up and this was just sort of second nature to him. Can you tell us a little bit about that and then how you subsequently were raised with this skill set and the sort of um, mindset around you? Yeah, this is, this is kind of interesting because it's, it's a lot of things to talk about around sure. that because he came from a, a self-sufficient farm, you know, very rural, uh, about uh, one and a half hour drive from Umeå, from the coast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, he was born 1925 and wow. electricity came to that village in, in the late 30s. Hmm. You know? so, so they, you know, one of his neighbors had one lamp, you know, for years, <laughs> and everybody <laughs> were really, you know, amazed about that. So <laughs> it was it was very, very rural. And they were farmers, and they were a lot of kids, and they had to work all the time. Yep. So he had start work in the uh, with uh, forestry uh, when he was around 12 years old, you mm. know, cutting down trees and, and helping out in the forest. Hmm. So he he learned, you know, to work with these tools very naturally. It just came to him, and there is actually a a little family story which uh, 
is kind of fun. <laughs> and it tells a story about, you know, how they looked upon, you know, making things. And, and it tells a story about how they looked upon three-dimensional making instead of, you know, like drawing and, 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 and things. Uh-huh. He was he was twelve years old, and he, my father, he he was drawing horses because he loved horses, hmm. and then he wasn't happy with that, you know, because <laughs> he the head was bigger than the body, and the legs were wrong, and he was not satisfied at all. And this is around thirty-seven, something like that, and. He knew that you could, you know, learn how to draw by taking letter corresponding classes, you know, huh. with Stockholm wow. and how to learn to draw. You could pay a little <clears throat> and then they send you a task and you, you made a drawing and you send it back. And, uh-huh. and the person in Stockholm send you a letter will say you have to practice on this and this and this. That's amazing. <laughs> but. But that cost money, so he wasn't sure if his parents, you know, should allow him to, to do that. Yeah. And then he described it that one day, one Saturday, they were out in the forest and, and taking home some timber with the horse and the sledges. And he were allowed to, to drive the sledges with this huge timber parts on them. Mm. This was this was winter time, of course. Mm-hmm. And on their way home, he was sitting and watching the horse sweating all over, you know. And he was watching the muscles, you know, on the horse, you know, legs and on the back. And and he was so impressed by how mm-hmm. beautiful the horse was. Mm-hmm. So he took courage when they came home, and then he asked my my grandfather Arvid. If it was possible, yeah. this is in dialect, of course, very uh-huh. hard to translate. Sure. But he said, if if it's possible to, uh, you know, take a letter corresponding class with Stockholm, <laughs> they talk they very much like that. Okay. <laughs> and then my my granddad Arvid said, why do why do you want to do that for? Uh, <laughs> I want to learn to draw, he said. This is important for me. But why should you draw a horse when you can make one? Ah. My granddad said. That is much easier to make a horse in the, in, out of a tr- piece of wood, you know. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so he gave him a piece of uh, willow burl mm. and he made a fantastic horse which i have still have wow amazing yeah and it was so good so he got a prize uh, (laughs) at a small exhibition local exhibition which is five swedish crowns at that time that's 75 pence or something like that Mm. but 1938 that was pretty much money you know yeah yeah (laughs) so so it was, you know, for me today, it tells me the, the, the story about that, you know, 
my granddad, he, he couldn't understand how you could draw things, but he could understand how you can make a three-dimensional object very easily yeah. you know, with your axe and knife. You know? That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that kind of set and him then, on, on the then path. When of... he, then when my grandfather replied, he, my, my, father, my father said, well, isn't it hard to to make a horse with a knife. <laughs> and my grandfather said, no, 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 that's not hard. You just have to take away everything that is not a horse. <laughs> uh, that's pretty, that. pretty interesting, you know, the way how you put things. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So that that was the experience that kind of catapulted him into this world of hand tools and learning to make 3D objects with with the the axe and the knife. Yeah, and he was actually very interested in sculpture, the sculptural part of it, you know, the form and the design of it. And then when he he started to make spoons and talk about spoons, he talked a lot about, you know, the lines of the spoon and the mm-hmm. function and the weight of it and the strength of it and how they should interact to be a a functional design. He Mm -hmm. said that, you know, form follows function, you know, when you have to, you know, listen to that and, and be aware of that, you know, and add, you know, a personal uh, touch to that, you know, so. Hmm. That's awesome. That and, was very, you know, yeah. And so another, Sorry. oh, go ahead. No. So okay. another another thread that kind of ties into that that I was really excited to talk to you about is I remember years ago um, when I was first really starting to understand the roots of the idea of Sloyd, um, you had posted something on Facebook <clears throat> And I don't have the quote in front of me, but I, I do have it somewhere stored on my computer. I remember I screenshotted it because it was profound to me at the time um, and still is. But you had yeah. written, you wrote something about how, I think it was a saying you had carved on a spoon, um, but it, it you were describing how the word sloyd comes from this old Viking word that um, describes basically like a, a crafty farmer or the handy farmer, and that that's sort of the colloquial roots that led into what we now know as Sloyd or handcraft. Can you tell us about that and kind of how, I guess, cause it's, it's very pertinent to where you live, that sort of dialect and um, that more yeah, ancient form. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that's a, a kind of funny story because in, in Sweden, uh, you know, we have a long tradition with, uh, uh, um, a cultural, how do you put that word? Um, it's a non-profit organization, you know, who okay. works for taking care of the traditional, you know, handicraft. And they yeah. call themselves Hemsloid, which is uh-huh. ha- translated into handicraft. So, yeah. but when, when, and I've been into that movement, you know, all my life, but when I started to study old uh, traditional Craft. I realized that the word handicraft or hemsloid was more like a, a 
post-industrial production for you know selling their things hmm. to to city people to get some money yeah but before that they produced their own things for their own use and mm -hmm. that part of the history was the slurred history so to say right right and then and then i i was at a at a, a fancy dinner at the university i was invited for being a craftsman you know and i was sitting beside a big fat guy and it turned out he was an ethnologist do you say so sure yeah ethnological yeah um yeah maybe the was... anthropologist no not anthropologist he was he was um you know knowing the origins of words oh entom uh um gosh uh yeah entomolo entomologist <laughs> entomologist yeah <laughs> yep, that's good yep. yeah it's even hard in Swedish, I would say. <laughs> and I was kind of happy, you know, having him to, to for dinner. It was a big group. But I said, well, now you have to tell me, you know, what is the origins of, of the word slide? And he said, well, you should be really proud of that, because in my county, in our county, this is the part of the dialect, you know, when we described someone who is crafty or handy or practical, it's the word schlög, he said. Hmm. But schlög is from the 15th, 1600s, and this developed into modern Swedish to be slöjd. Hmm. But the dialect in my county is still alive, and people say still schlög, schlög. here, but they... Yeah, but in this county, he added this to the story. He said, "In this county, we we are so humble, so we never do say that we are schlög. <laughs> we say we are not unschlög. <laughs> <laughs> we are not unpractical, huh. you know. As say, yeah, I am practical, you know." <laughs> right. so, when I and I reckon that when he when he talked about it, I, I I recall that yeah I heard all the people you know saying that yeah I ain't too schlög in Swedish I'm not unschlög so to say <laughs> and uh, so I could refer to it and still when I talk to all the people they know exactly what I mean hmm. and also uh, that you know became a motto for me and something that I really wanted to tell people about that. Because for me, this is a way of uh, valuing practical skills and right. practical you know, intelligence, you know, by saying that, okay, we are not unpractical. <laughs> I am practical and I'm proud of it. And I know there's a lot of knowledge in here and not everybody can get it, but I can and therefore I'm proud of it. Mm -hmm. So for me, this is... Uh, a kind of statement, or almost. <laughs> I love it. I am not uncrafty. So I, I, yeah, I made a T-shirt out of it, and I talk a lot about it since then because it's so you know it's a it's a good story about hmm. how I, I found out about yeah. So and then talking back, to my father there, he you know when he grew up, Sweden Sweden was changing a lot you know, uh, becoming an, a modern industrial society. So right. 
when he moved from home when in his 20s, he was kind of, and this he told me he was older. He was kind of, you know, lost, hmm. didn't know what to do. So he tried to be a gardener for a while and, and uh, moved around a little, trying different jobs and didn't know what to do. Hmm. And, you know, he had this dialect, you know, talking like a real hobo, I would say, or, <laughs> or a, you know, very rural, you know, like people from the South would probably having a hard time understanding him. Huh. So he was, as I look at this now, I can... I can understand that he was, you know, immigrating to the the modern society of Sweden, coming right. from a very peasant, you know, situation. Wow. So he had to learn thing, you know, as new. But then all of a sudden he, he stumbled on a class where they were turning things and he could turn because he learned that when he was a boy. Hmm. So he showed up there and, and showed them how to turn with, uh, um, you know, like not scraping, but cutting, turning. Yeah. What is the word for that? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what the you word know, would be. Like, like pole lathe turning. Okay. Yeah, know. yeah, sure. And people were kind of amazed. And he, he actually <laughs> realized that he had skills, you know. And then all of a sudden, someone said, well, you should go to Stockholm and, and study with Karl Malmsteen. And mm. he didn't knew about him at all. So he, he went straight there and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> showed him what he could do with his knife. Huh. And he uh, was there for some years studying. So I actually have his, uh, his masterpiece there from being a... Uh, what do you call it? Uh, a Giselle, uh, a full a carpenter with, with uh, when you when you're doing a carpenter uh, education, you have to make an object which is, you know, proved and tested, and uh, and uh, someone has to like say a the- this is like good. a thesis. Uh, yeah, thesis. That's the word. Thank okay, you. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So. It's a wonderful piece of, uh, it's a, it's a cabinet, you know, huh. um, very, very, but of course it's wienery and stuff like that, but it's, it's an amazing work. So yeah. I'm really proud of it. Huh. Yeah. That's incredible. So yeah. and your, your dad, um, so did he work professionally as a carpenter? He actually never did. You know, he, he had a family. We were three boys, and he had a family to, you know, make money to. So yeah. they moved. He and my mother moved up to Lulio, that's further north from here. Hmm. And uh, then he was a, a teacher at school there for uh, seven, eight years, something like okay. that. And then, <clears throat> sorry. Then uh, uh, the Swedish government decided to to install craft consultants in each county. It has, it had been uh, craft consultants in, in every county for textile skills, but never for for woodwork or metalwork or stuff like that. So he, he wanted that job and got it in, in the county below Norrbotten, below of Luleå. 
So we moved there when I was 10, you know, and he started to work as a craft consultant, a full-time craft consultant hmm. work. So he worked with that till he retired, actually. Oh, wow. That's yeah, amazing. Of so course that, he was teaching. Yeah. So that was a government, Sorry? that was a government program to have a skilled person in each county that could, who would they consult with? Yeah. And with it's still like that or, in Sweden. Do they, they, do yeah. they consult with schools? Is that their main client? Oh, they work for, they try to inspire, you know, the school system too, to work more traditionally, to, to work with Greenwood, for example. And they are, you know, making exhibitions and they are arranging classes and mm. events and, and all bigger projects like, you know, engaging craftspeople into, you know, many different things okay how to you know look at study the museum archives for example and make new things that could be mm. one of the projects and then they they uh, they uh, try to fund uh, these projects you know from governments and from the local government from the national government mm. and so they do a lot of good work you know and uh, in almost every county, we have 24 in Sweden, there is two uh, craft consultants in each county. Oh, wow. That's so amazing. It's, it's, it's rare. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's one of the reasons that why we in Sweden have been able to actually, you know, keep the tradition and, and at the same time, evolve it in some mm. way not being you know too cons conservative or pre and preserving tradition we have been able to you know um re what do you say plant it in the society too at the yeah. same time so people are aware of about this tradition and what it's worth yeah that's amazing to me because <clears throat> i've met <clears throat> excuse me i've met many swedish folks and um I'll describe to them as of what I'll describe to them what I do as Sloyd. And um, I, I was telling you this when we talked last time, but they never understand me at first yeah, because I, I can't, I can't pronounce it in Swedish very well. But then once they, once they get the Swedish pronunciation in their mind, they realize, Oh yeah, well, I know exactly what that is. That's many times I've been told. Yeah. That's what I learned when I was in grade school. We would, they give us a knife and ax and we'd whittle, you know, different things. Um, so it's amazing to me that that's still, you know, especially with Sweden being like a modern industrial culture and economy that people are still yeah, being yeah. taught these ways because it's kind of the opposite here in the States. Um, people have very little real hand skills when they leave school. They have a lot of mental skills, but very, uh, I mean, I don't, even, I don't even think in modern schools they have, when I was growing up, we had a wood shop where we learned how to use band saws and table saws, but I don't even think that exists anymore. So to me, that that's still a big part of the Swedish culture and it's being preserved is really incredible. Yeah. 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 I agree. But then, uh, of course, you know, there is different type of teachers. We have, I guess about 30% that's just, you know, approximately that actually want to work with knives and axes and cutting tools. And then, the rest of them are more into, you know, band saws and, and machinery work and, and sandpaper and stuff like okay. that, which I 
which I think is a shame because I think they should start very early with the basic stuff and then they can, you know, uh, evolve in or progress in, in, in working with machines if they right. want to, but they right. should learn, you know, basic stuffs first. But uh, I guess you uh, you heard about Magnus Sundelin, for example. He's yep. pretty yep. big on Instagram. He's been taking many classes for me, and I helped him out when he was starting his running his business. And he mm. he still works as a school teacher, and, and he does it, you know, exactly the way, you know, a, a school slide teacher should, you know, <laughs> work with green wood and with knives and with axes, and he's just you know, a role model for, for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, he is for me as well. I agree. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's just so fascinating to me because it's just a different world than here where I've grown up. Um, so yeah, it's just really incredible, and and I've learned too myself because um, I've done woodworking most of my life. I've learned when I was a young kid how to use power tools, like I said in school, and um, but what I've found is since learning to use hand tools and learning just sort of this whole Sloyd um, worldview, I guess, is how I look at it. Um, I found that it makes all of my woodworking, it's made me better at all types of woodworking. It's made me think differently about the wood. Um, even if I am using a power tool, I just, I don't know, it's subtle and in some ways it's hard to describe exactly how it's changed me. But that's what I found too, is that learning these different tools, these hand tools, and just coming at the wood from a more simple way, it teaches you things that you can translate into other types of craft or even other types of woodwork, but even other types of craft and just thinking through, because it's very methodical and process-based. Um, so. Yeah, want- that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree on that. And, and the first times I was teaching in the United States, I was completely shocked, you know, by by the low standards of, of uh, <laughs> how to work with your hands. You right, know, I was yeah. totally amazed. And, <laughs> you know, I wasn't, you know, I, th- I thought it was really fun to, to make spoons and, you know, to work and make dough balls and crocks mm. and, and um, you know, small furniture like uh, stools and chairs and all that stuff. But... Uh, I didn't think upon it as something, you know, very special at right. all. Right. Yeah. It was just a part of my culture, you know. Uh-huh. And I just had been taking a, a, a two-year school with a lot of, you know, people in, at my age who were uh-huh. interested. And I know I knew that we were, you know, just a part of uh, a little a little movement in a bigger society, but still, you know, like a a group of nerds, you know, having fun together. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but then, but then when I came to United States and I could, you know, people were asking me because I was, I was playing in band at that time and I had long hair and I, uh, th- this was mid eighties. Remember this? <laughs> it's, it's hard to tell people, but I had black stripes in my nice. white hair, you know, you know, <laughs> Awesome. So I, I really tell that the guys, the old guys taking this class, they were kind of, what is this? You know, <laughs> who is this? They couldn't really understand how uh, me being, you know, 25 years old, knowing all this traditional stuff, they, they huh. couldn't really get it. 
you know. So when I came home and then the, the, the magazine Hemsloid, they asked me to write, how is it in the United States? I, I said, my conclusion was that I, I actually, you know, valued my own tradition in a, mm. in, in a different way. I started to realize that this is actually something really special, you know, mm. to have this knowledge and to have this skill. Sure, so I yeah. was kind of, yeah, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Gave you perspective. Huh? And then also, of course, I saw that how commercial the the American society is, you know, yeah. how all the traditions were totally, totally gone, you know, for, you know, during 100 years, it was yep. erased yep. totally by the commercial system. So, and that was also very sad to see in one mm. way, because it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's so many values in, in working with hands. So yeah, it Amazing. was a sad. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up with a little bit of a special, uh, my dad is a artist and a sculptor. So I had been working with oh. hands from a young age. So when I got into spoon carving, it was a very natural progression for me, but just because I had that experience and that goes back to my grandfather yeah. who immigrated from Italy um in the early 1900s he immigrated here from italy and uh this is actually an interesting thing uh he i learned this a couple of years ago he actually one of his first jobs when he uh moved here was he he, he was a woodworker he was car he, he was a carver in italy and uh, my dad has one of his original pieces he carved a face out of wood it's a really really beautiful um human face but he, uh, he, they lived in, he landed in New England and he worked for churches. He would carve their mantles that would go, I guess, somewhere in the church. He would carve these, you know, very intricate mantles with different designs. And I actually have his whole original yep. toolkit uh, that he used for carving that. Um, wow. That's so, so wonderful. Yeah, they're beautiful tools. I haven't, I need to restore them. I just have them set aside. But they're, I mean, it's all types of different little, they're all very, small gouges and v gouges and tiny little skew chisels um but yeah he oh, that's what that's wonderful. what he that's what he did for years was doing these artistic um but they're decorative carvings and um then my family ended up in Michigan in Detroit because my uncle he won a competition where he carved these cars and submitted them to a competition that General Motors was holding and he won this competition and they moved my whole family from uh, Massachusetts to Detroit because my uncle had carved these cars that were so spectacular, I guess, to the General Motors competition. So it's interesting. I learned that part rec recently. I learned the details of that. And it just was an interesting little tidbit that I'd never really understood. But that's kind of like my roots into Sloyd is that, you know, it came through my grandfather and then through my dad, my uncle. They were very artistic and hands on. Um, but I, I definitely see like in my friends and, and a lot of people I know here that it's not common. Um, you know, when I've taught classes for spoon carving and so on, it's people are so scared to, you know, knives cut you and axes are dangerous and um, yeah, the, yeah. they're intimidated about, you know, using their hands to make something because they're afraid they're going to mess up and they don't know what to do. Um, so it's really interesting, <laughs> like you were saying, when you see people kind of get it and then it's like, oh, wow, now they know they can make something and then it actually is not as hard as they had, you know, made it to be in their mind. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that your family is not unpractical. <laughs> They're definitely in, not. Yes. <laughs> but but I, I also think that, you know, a part of, of um, having confidence with using your body and your hands to, to work with tools is is very good for your of course for your physical health but also for mm-hmm. your mental health yeah absolutely. because it's a you have a tool and you can actually form your 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 everyday situation in your house i yep. mean you can make a shelf you can make a cupboard you can make a spoon you can make a bowl so you can get the food into the <laughs> mouth and you can <laughs> Set yourself on a plank and take a, a pencil and and mark your ass, you know, and cut <laughs> out the board and put four legs on it, and then you have a stool, something to sit on. Yeah. And that feeling, for me, is is very, you know, it's like a, a, a very important part in in why also woodworking and slide is important. You know, yeah. for everybody should have that feeling to be able to to do something with their hands because it you 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 get much more you know happy with uh, mm-hmm. you feeling a kind of comfort or confidence with how you can actually rule your everyday world mm-hmm. that's that's very important for me absolutely absolutely i couldn't agree more well um I could talk to you for hours, I'm sure, about the roots of Sloyd and the philosophy of it. But um, I did want to ask you a fair bit about, so you have this alter ego. Um, I remember hearing you talk about somewhere, I forget, maybe it was written or a video I watched. Um, And that's what you kind of, I guess, your alter ego is sort of what your craft is branded as, so to speak. Uh, Can you tell us about that and how how that came to be? Yeah, and that's a kind of, you know, it was a kind of funny story even for me, actually, because uh, it can be a little hard to understand for someone who hasn't been working. But uh, way back in 98, you know, I had been making things for for 13 years, half time, you know, selling things and teaching mm-hmm. classes. And I, I was... I was full of ideas, you know, what to do. And I really wanted to produce things and express myself in my craft, in my slide. But when I'm looking at it now, I can understand that my, you know, process in uh, my confidence in, in make how things should, you know, come out, how they should be wasn't really there because i hmm. i never had any university education at all in, in form or anything i'm just tra- a traditional you know trained yeah so uh i i had the choices between making things pretty rough you know with uh with just my hands with the axe and with the knives and uh-huh. with cutting tools and not sanding them or band sawing them and all that stuff and i i wasn't really believing that this should work because i knew that it should be so time consuming so i shouldn't be able to make any money out of it 
And uh, so I didn't really know which, you know, path to go to, to make my living out of it. Because we had two children. My daughter was nine by then and my son was five. You know, so and I really told my wife, you know, I I really want to, you know, share this with you. So we I I want that, me to make the money, half of the money too, you know. <laughs> that's important for a Swedish guy. <laughs> sure. And uh, yeah, so but then I all of a sudden I made a a stool with a heart shape in my mm. workshop, you know, and I started to carve a lot of patterns on that stool and it had curved legs from uh, crooked uh, birches. Mm. So it, it kind of danced a little, you know, when it was standing there on three legs. And yeah. I, I had quotes of from Prince and songs like that, you know, <laughs> uh, on, the, on the top of the, the seat there. And I was, and it was really rough done yeah. you know just hand june and and so and i was pretty you know excited about that one but i was keep telling myself this is not going to work because people don't think it's you know they want sanded stuff you know mm. like that and then my daughter jumped into the workshop around two three o'clock in in the pm mm. she came uh, home from school and and all of a sudden, she saw this stool in my workshop, and she she raised this stupid question to me. She said, "Who made that stool?" She said because she she never seen anything like it, you know, before. <laughs> and I just stared at her and said to myself, "Is she stupid? Her daddy is a woodworker. What what's wrong here?" You know. But I I you know I kind of you know told myself I really want to make a, a little joke. So I said, it's it's an old guy from the mountains, and his name is Ulle, Ulle Olsson. He's a real sour guy, very, very, very sour guy. And she kind of swallowed that, you know, directly. She was happy with that answer. And then she started to ask me, what kind of animals does Ulle have? Uh, okay, I said, yeah, he has, you know, a lot of goats and horses and pigs and everything. Oh, what's the name of them? She said, <laughs> and I, I, I couldn't, you know, keep lying to her. So I said, "Well, this is just, you know, I'm making fun of you. You know, you have to come up with the names." And she was happy, you know. She said, "Oh yeah, I will." She said, and then she ran out the workshop, and she's gone about thirty minutes, and then she comes back to the workshop with some wonderful drawings hmm. that she. She had been sitting in the house making by herself. She she was drawing, you know, 20, 30 drawings a day at that mm. time. Very creative. Mm. And one of the pictures, she she had pictures on all the animals and she named them in funny names. Like um, the cat's name was uh, bottle and plates and stuff <laughs> like that. But then she made a drawing out of this sour ulle. Sur Ulle. <laughs> I said a sour guy named Ulle, and she named him Sur Ulle. And he was standing, you know, now, you know, you can't see me, but he was standing like this. His eyes were shining. He was smiling all over. 
<laughs> he had same hair and the ring in the air like me. <laughs> and he was so happy. <laughs> so I I just my direct thought was that she has been making a drawing out of me and my lust for doing woodwork. So yeah. that's me on that drawing. So I started to play with that guy, you know, saying, what is the, you know, how should the items that Surule makes look, you know, <laughs> what it is his, you know, form and coloring and, and pattering yeah. and all that stuff. So I played around with that guy, you know, for years, you know, thinking about what Surule should think, like a, like a, you know, like an ego, which is more, you know, ruling you. Right. <laughs> just like an alter ego. Yeah. And I had fun with it. You know, I played around with it. So my first exhibitions, I, I never said who I was. I said, this is just Surule. <laughs> Things. He said, well, you never know. <laughs> and now I understand that this was a kind of relief for me huh. because, you know, tradition can also be kind of, you know, being heavy Rigid. on your shoulder. Yeah. yeah. So I, I realized that now that it probably was like that, that my, you know, my heritage from my father and all the stuff, what I was supposed to do and stuff like that wasn't my my own personal choices. Right. But with this alter ego, I could make the choices all by myself, you know, mm. playing around and having fun. So I would say that I started my 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 form, my sense of form and my my personal style there hmm. you know for real for real yeah that's awesome i love that story um and yeah looking at your website which i encourage everyone listening to do if you haven't um you make a really amazing array of different things from furniture to spoons to um sculptures to uh all, I mean, the hobo stick i love the hobo stick that's one of my favorite things that um that you've made oh, yeah. I love um, yeah. So yeah. you have a huge breadth of of different things that you work on, and is that I assume that that's on purpose? Like you like to do a little bit of everything, is what I gather, just based on all the different things you've created. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Your kind of workflow and how do you decide what you're going to make? And um, I know you do a lot of commissions, and Mike had some questions he wanted to ask you about your commission process, but. Yeah, what do you just go in the shop and decide to make something, or how's how does that come about? Yeah, it's it's of course it's many different kind of of uh, paths here, mm -hmm. but one of the main things, you know, when I grew up, my uh, my father and mother were really much into crafts, and and they had handmade objects, you know, all over the house. Yeah. You know, my father was very skilled in coloring and and weaving carpets, you know, and, and textile. Mm. She also had been doing ceramics, you know, when she was younger. And, and she was really, really good at what she was doing. And then they, of course, they bought craft from, from uh, people they know, you know. Yeah. And, and Growing up with that, you know, you start to estimate, you know, the values in mm. 
the persons behind it, of course, you know, and the story behind it, and also the, using them in everyday life, you know, like you know, I have my misli in a in a birch bark container now because yeah. it's you know that's how I want it to to feel, you know, yeah. in the morning, open it up, and you know. And, yep. and have the wooden spoon and, and so on and and I think I think I start there I start in the kitchen you know making a lot mm. of objects that I want cutting different cutting boards you know shelves and spoons and bowls and you know a lot of small stuff and then cupboards and, and the stool and the chairs were, were really you know uh, really something that came to me because I had I was actually taking a class in for for John Alexander Jenny mm. Alexander in yeah. in uh, country workshops and this is 1998 hmm. and that was the first time I made a, a, a traditional ladder back chair and I was huh. pretty amazed about you know the the methods how they made them Sure. So when I came to Sweden, I started to do some research and trying to find, you know, the same type of shares in Sweden. Mm. I was down in Lund at the at Kulturen in Lund at their warehouses looking for them, but I couldn't find the same traditions. I was in in the, the Nordic Museum's archive in Stockholm for for a week, you know, searching wow. and making drawings and taking pictures and and. Mm. Uh, did um, measure it up and so on. And then I realized that we had uh, a special Nordic tradition how to make these uh, stools and chairs. Mm. So, and they were so, you know, artistic in a way, in a peasant way, you know, Mm -hmm. like no one told them how to do it. And they were heavily inflated by the material that they had found. If they found a, you know, a, a circle, a half circle, perfect for your for your back, they, yep. they took it and mm. used it as the backrest. That's awesome. And if they found, a, you know, a, a ninety degree shape, it was the armrest. And <laughs> if the legs were curved, that was the legs, and and mm. so on. So I was totally, you know, crazy about making them like that Mm. and then i found my own tradition because of you know finding the ladder back tradition i Mm. i really wanted to find my own so but actually i had been starting i had been doing research before that for spoons and bowls also but now i really studied them you know and and learned a lot of, of making them so nowadays uh, I can tell you right now. I'm I'm working on a, a ship carving book, actually, yeah. uh, of traditional ship carving, but the way I do it, you know, and the way I interpret older patterns. Mm-hmm. So, and then I do exactly what I why what I normally do. I I I stumble into my archives of pictures of. Mm old slides and paper photos and since 2003 something like that it's digital mm-hmm. archives so i think i have about 10,000 pictures of wow. old craft that i 
you know, walk through, you know, every now and then. And when I see something that I, I really, that turns me on, I would say, you know, that really turns me on. I, I try to, you know, incorporate that, that feeling Mm. into something new. I can see a share and then I want to do something like that. And then I walk out in my barn and I go to my, I have a few hundred different kind of crooks that I store, Mm. you know, in the barn. They are all, uh, the bark is taking away and they are, you know, not completely dry, but about 18% of of the moisture in them. And then I pick them up and compose something Mm. that looks like you know, and get inspired. So hmm. that's why I thought they did. And I feel very, very connected to, you know, these craftspeople that, you know, anonymous craftspeople that mm-hmm. actually did this thing. So I feel like them. And, and <laughs> that's where I want to be, you know. That's amazing. I love that. And do you, so, um, do you make a lot of your living from selling your objects? Is that so you'll make things and then you do you do like a gallery show and then sell them or how does that work? How's that aspect come together? Yeah, it's it's many uh many small uh lakes that becomes a bigger river. Yeah. Of course. I'm I'm teaching, you know, about, you know, 5 to 10 classes every year and then I'm 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 having lectures about traditional craft and about Slöjd and what what that is, you know, in schools and, and universities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I have a, a performance called Rhythm and Slöjd, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is a musical um, performance uh, where I make a I make a shrink box live on stage, mm-hmm. you know, from piece of of aspen Hmm. you know so i do everything you know and the first five minutes it's chemical brothers believe uh, (laughs) on very high volume and i work everything in rhythm so i saw it off i chop it with an axe and then i drill it with uh uh, what do you call them the t drill auger Um, auger yeah and then I I um, carve it from the inside, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, then that takes about five minutes. And then the music comes down to to Arvo Pat, which is a classical um, guy, very calm piano music. And then I start to to tell some stories about mm. craft, you know, what craft is and stories about my father and about myself and about Sudol and how that came to be. And at the same time, I'm doing this ring box and I'm splitting out the bottom and, and thinning it out. And then I, I make the groove and, and, and the bottom in there. And after 45 minutes, something like that, the, the, the very, soft dramatic and fitting <laughs> the bottom into that box it it's a little click uh-huh. where everyone should see that it, it worked you know and then i have the box you know 
So, and then of course it's it's a lot of pictures in in the back also of of traditional woodwork and and, and my work and, and so mm-hmm. on that inspires people. And uh, normally I have a kind of nice setup on stage with good light and and so on. So mm-hmm. it's a kind of fun you know performance to do, and I do that a lot in schools for mm, for younger cool. kids, you know. And they are totally absorbed, absorbed. <laughs> they, I never had any problems with uh, kids being, you know, disturbing <laughs> or stuff like that. They sure. just, you know, it's They're so immersed. interesting for them. Yeah, yeah don't you, isn't there, then, a, isn't there a TED Talk of you doing that? I feel like I've seen it before. Yeah, they actually, they actually asked me to do it, but it's 45 minutes. I said, it's impossible. Well, you have to shorten it to 14 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I said, it, it, it can't be done in 40 minutes. But then we just, I just did some dewing and then I, some, some carving, you know, I didn't make a, a shrink pot in, yeah. in that show, but it was actually kind of fun doing that because it was, uh, a lot of people have been seeing it on, on the TED Talk, Yeah, extended yeah. TED yeah that was real fun but then you know the rest of the time i'm producing things that i that i like to do you know and then i have about one to four exhibitions every year you know all over sweden uh selling my stuff Hmm. uh and then i have private uh commissions of course people you know ask me to make things and um that's that's a fun part actually because the the hard thing by by surviving as a craftsman i would say is to be able to persuade the customer mm. that the thing that i want to do for you is best for you right <laughs> You see, I like the because way people have an idea when they talk to you and they say, do, can you do, you know, a cradle, for example, and I want it to look like this. And I said, no, 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 <laughs> it's not going to look like that. So <laughs> it's going to look like, you know, pseudo stuff, you know, and I said, how is that? You know, and then I, I, I'm, I'm putting pretty much work on actually making a, a drawing, a sketch, hmm. you know, which I I can put several hours, you know, making a good sketch with with patterns and everything on it. Mm. I'm not a very good drawer. I would say that. I, uh, but I, I have my style of of making pretty easy drawings. And then I actually, I scan it into Photoshop, and mm. and uh, then I I do some uh, coloring on it, and I print it pretty nicely. So I send the customer a, a, a provo- proposal or hmm. an offer, you know, saying this is this is how I can do it, and it will cost you like this and this, and I can do it, you know, you know, it can be ready for three months ahead, and um, hmm. if you are really interested, you have to pay twenty five percent, you know, yep. forehand, you know, um, and that seemed to be a, a pretty, you know, good concept because then the customer are pretty happy with what you actually do. They mm. they they know exactly what to expect. Yeah. And also, I have a, a good drawing for 
for so I know and remember what we had been talking about because sometimes it can be months, you know, in between, right. you know, thinking at what you want to do. So hmm. I have a document, I have their address, I have the the price, and you know, everything is in there. So it's a good system for hmm. for taking care of that. Hmm. And That's then awesome. in Sweden we have a for art people we have a system that you can um, uh, you can ask for for making commissions you know uh, so I'm I'm into that art field where I get you know uh, questions people are asking for a public commission on a new daycare center or a elder center or something that's new built and then you can. Yeah. You know, apply and and say, yeah, I want to be in there. And then mm. they pick you from pictures and saying you mm. can make a sketch here for thousand dollars or something like that. Mm. And then I try to get jobs like that. And sometimes I get them, and sometimes I don't. But then they want me to to make sketches or drawings out of mm-hmm. my plans. But I I tell them no, I'm I'm too up too bad in making drawings so i make a i make a model so i make a lot of models of you know things and and then i send the model to the group that decides who's gonna make the job i can show you one here yeah i'd love to see Uh, yeah this is uh, how cool so for the for the airport in my town and it's it's a so fights Three and a half meters, something like that, and uh, it's wow. about sixty joints, and and it's all <laughs> crooked parts here. It's amazing. And this is actually Amelia Earhart, you know, the first woman who was uh, oh yeah yeah crossing the Atlantic, you yeah. know, who, who died pretty young, you know. So it's a tribute to wow, her. Wow, that's so, I love that little model. That's amazing. So do you do you make those <clears throat> in the same way you would make the bigger one, or is that made differently? It's almost the same. It's a little small differences, but almost the same. So when I've decided, you know, what to do, it's I make them, you know. <laughs> That's an amazing piece Sometimes I did. You, I have to be sure I, I, I do have the materials. So right. It's pretty hard. And actually, once I, I decided to make a big ladder, it's a five and a half meat long ladder, wow. in, which was cooked. Which was crooked. Okay. So I yeah. made a model of a. I don't know where that is. <laughs> somewhere else there, but uh, and it was a man holding it, and the man should be from the wall, you know, mounted on the wall, and the uh-huh. man was natural size, <laughs> and he was holding this long ladder up to the the very high ceiling. Wow. And I never thought I should get that job, so I was just playing around, having fun, and I had this idea of this man, you know, <laughs> saving his sh- children in a in a fire. Actually, huh. there was a story behind it too. Wow! <clears throat> and then I started. I got the job, and then I started in the fall to to look for that birch. You know? mm. it's, a, it's a six meter long crooked birch, yeah. you know, and and so big that you could split it in two halves and make a letter out of mm. it. And I couldn't wow. find it. And <laughs> it was October, it was November, it was December, and in January I was kind of desperate, you know. And 
And up here we we have a we have a ski ski um, track, you know, around the house uh-huh. in the village here, which we use winter time taking, you know, for running. Uh, what do you call it when you flat skiing? The cross country. <laughs> uh, cross country skiing, yeah. And I was climbing up a hill, and I was thinking, you know, all this, this, the time I was skiing, I was, you know, blaming myself for not looking harder for that bird, you know, <laughs> where to find it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fail here because I can't find the material. And all of a sudden, in that hill, I was looking to my right, and there it was, you know, hmm. three meters away. It was lying, following the ground. Wow. You know, and I know who... who who uh, the man who was uh, who had this forest so i made him a call and he said yes go ahead and take it so i was very happy about that one wow so now it's a public commission for a school uh, not very far from here hmm. that's amazing so is that on yeah. your website i see a, a curvy ladder is that was that the model you made yeah. white is white painted white yeah i think you see the real one in the oh that's the real website. one okay Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It is. Wow. And is that all yeah. um when you're working at that scale, I assume you're doing are you doing like a traditional joinery? Uh how's that joinery work? Are you are you using glue or is it like a wet dry type joint? It's a wet dry technique. Uh, wow. it's uh amazing. Taken from the Yeah, so all the are dried in an oven, you know, the night mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. And they are and and then then we used a big sledgehammer to to drive it in there, mm. you know, and and then the first and the fourth and the eight pairs are are wedged, mm. but the rest of them are and they they just shrunk together and and perfectly, mm. so it holds together very very strong one. That's amazing. So it's it's amazing, yeah. Is it that was really you... fun making. Oh, like that. Is that how you do your your stools as well? Yeah, I do the same thing. So the seats, uh, I have uh, one share now uh, as a private commission, and and then I keep the seat, you know, outside the workshop. Not outside, but you know, in a colder um, part of, of yeah. my workshop. So. It doesn't dry too fast. So, mm-hmm. and then it goes down to about 12, 14%, something mm. like that, because it's really dry up here in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And then I, I drill the holes and the legs are all dried down. I, I keep them on a, on a heater, you know, mm. all the time. So before, and then I, I, I take the seat out and, and when I, fitting them is is squeezed tight super mm. tight so i'd have in them with, with a big mallet and then i i i fit them in there and i trim the the top and i i saw a little um thing in the in the tenon yep. you know and then i make a, a really strong wedge mm-hmm. you know i have some mountain ash that i use mm. and i wedged them very heavily you know but i use glue too you know as an extra extra part because in this tradition the the legs don't have any uh runs at all or right stretchers yeah so you know if you hit the leg without any runs it can be 
the tenant takes so much stress. So right. they have to be, you know, super tight and, uh, you know, wet and dry and glued to really mm. be there, stay there for a long time. Wow. So, so I'm very careful about that going, you know, because it's, that's the heart of the, mm. the share. So yeah, I, I'm really careful that it should fit really good. You know? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I definitely encourage everyone it's, to go and look at all of your, you have a lot of pictures on your website. It's just amazing. Um, one of the things yeah. I love the love the most about your work is there's like a playfulness to it. Um, and you were kind of describing that earlier when you were explaining how you kind of came to this alter ego, but I love the, uh, there's like, um, uh, how do I put it? It's, it's a playfulness. Um, and, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the texture, that's the word I'm looking for. The texture of it is so pronounced. Um, and then you accentuate that with your different colors and the carving. Um, so there's just so many different layers of detail. Uh, I think people could be almost confused at first. They might just think this is art, but it's, uh, it's so much skill goes into it that it's way beyond just art. It's, it, I mean, it is our art in its own way, but it's definitely the craft is very profound on it i would say um and i remember you well, thank, making... thank you yeah that's I, I i'd love you to say that because it's uh, sometimes i can feel that uh people don't because they don't have the reference points here mm -hmm. people normally haven't been seeing traditional you know folk arty i would right. say craft from old from the 1700s 1800s you know even, even the 1600s because what I see when I look at old traditional craft is that joy and that expression mm. and that you know playfulness and individual ways of solving you know how to make a pattern. Some of them are really bad in making good patterns. It's, it's kind of you know <laughs> it's not very well done, but it's it still have, has a joy in it, and they want to tell you something with that pattern. And I kind of love that you know confidence. You know, feeling yeah. in it. I, I don't care. I do it myself. You know, right. the way I want it. You know, <laughs> I kind of love that. You know, Me too. feeling. It's 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 a free mind in there, which I, yeah, I love. Absolutely. That's that's why I'm, I'm not talking about art. I'm talking about folk art. You know, right. You know, people who are not trained, you know, academically, they are trained by tradition, and told that well, when you got the skills, you can do it. You know, mm -hmm. within tradition, but you can do it in a personal way that shows who you are, you know, and you are free to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's my goal, too, that people should think that, OK, I have to develop my own style, my own way of doing mm -hmm. things. And by showing that I can do that, uh, hopefully in this book can encourage people and inspire people to do the same. Yeah. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about the book you're working on? It's all it's about chip carving, and I'm assuming since it's a whole book about it, it's very detailed. Do you talk about the history of chip carving? And I remember when we spoke last, you're describing some of the patterns you were working on. Um, but what's the what's the gist of the book, and and what what sort of content are you putting into it? Yeah, it's going to be a, a historical, you know, part about talking about the patterns what do we think today they meant you know yeah. what was the purpose of putting them on 
on items like that because normally today we think that this is for, was just for beauty mm-hmm. but it wasn't it was for you know protection you know mm. and spelling mm. put a spell yeah. on on love put a spell on your life mm. you know having a lot of children being away from satan you know mm. keeping me away you know yeah, yeah. crosses yeah. triangles all that stuff it's a way mm. of surviving in a society where you thought this was for real you know yeah so you have to keep that in mind so i'm going to give some examples of that and talk Mm. you know i can't say this is how it was because no one knows exactly but ethnologists have some ideas that Mm. you can talk about and the thing that amazes me with this is that you know all over the world almost the same type of 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 patterns Mm. the uh how do you say that uh you know like you can see triangles you can see squares you can see circles and you can see crosses yeah you know and it must have been cultures that have been living you know with no connection with each Mm. other and they developed you know the same way of doing this pattern so they must for me they must have a a deeper meaning of of understanding the world and mankind Hmm. in one way and it's a way of 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 uh, you know bringing order out of the chaos it is being a human being in nature you Hmm. know in some way that's pretty you know Hmm. big words but i like i have a, a Do you say archetypes? Is that a word? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm looking for, you know. And, um, you know, in this book, then I tried to, I divided them into five or six, you know, main type of of, uh, carvings. It's lines, it's straight lines and curved lines. Mm. And then we have the 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 ship, the one-sided ship and the three-sided ship. Mm. So I'm gonna walk through them. And then we have shallow relief carving, you know, yeah. where where it's more like you know different kind of uh, figures and stuff mm-hmm. like that and flowers. Yep. And then we have uh, the nail cut, which is done with a straight chisel. Hmm. Nine slash five, a kind of small round chisel. Hmm. Uh, do you know what I mean? I don't. I don't know if I know exactly now. Yeah, I should have any some sample here, but it's. I think I packed it. I'm sorry, but no one can see it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a kind. Of, it looks like it like a nail you know and it's okay. it's cut and it's covering things you know in a repetitive uh, way so okay. it's kind of easy pattern to do and, and kind of amazing how much uh, fun you can have with it hmm. so i'm showing that and then we have a tradition in in the i would say east northern european you know geographic part of the world which is called kol rosning hmm in swedish and it's just one cut you know one very mm-hmm. tiny cut but you cut a lot so you make uh, like uh, like a weaving patterns you know and then you uh, color that with 
um, bark from uh, willow and a little oil mm. and then this bark goes down in the cut and then you just clean it off and you have a very thin brownish dark line and in all the times they used coal mm. so this is uh, a translation would be coal rosing ah. and i know up in minnesota and stuff like that and i know dale stubbs has made a video yeah, yeah from a woman who made cold roasting yeah so hmm. i would show a little about that too and then we have pier- pierced uh, things mm-hmm. you know yeah. with, with holes in them so i'm going to talk a little about that too right. uh, and then uh, uh, i'm gonna stumble a little into stamps you know hmm. that you can make a an iron stamp if you want to and, and make people used to make a lot of patterns with uh, what do you call the thing that comes from a bullet when you when the bullet is gone the, the casing the casing yeah. yeah so they took old casings and then they burnt them and made mm. burned you know patterns round patterns in in a special mm. way interesting and small irons and, and chisels and stuff like that cool. so that's also a very interesting you know part of it and then I'm making uh, about 14 chapters when with examples of what you can do. I mean, how ah, do cool. you do a pattern on a handle? How do you do a, a comb for your hair you know, mm-hmm. in wood? And how do you, this is an example of uh, an old pattern which I'm inspired of. And then from that pattern, I made this. And ah. then it's a working description of that, you know. Wow. That sounds <laughs> yeah. like it's gonna be an awesome book. I can't wait to uh to get it. When do you when do you think it'll come out? Uh next fall, I w- I would say. It's we have a deadline this summer. So okay. but right now I'm I'm just making things and I'm yeah. having so fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, I think I made 15 key holders wow with names on the different houses cool. so, wow nice. yeah. that's a great idea and decorate mm. them yeah and painted them it's so fun wow it's fun with making all things i would say it's it's kind yeah. of you know very very nice yeah. i hadn't th- i hadn't thought of that. that's a really good project to, to do a little keychain with a name on it um it is you also have another book too that I've um, I saw it when I was at Jared's house years ago, but it was the Swedish version, and I know it was translated into English as well. But that's uh, Sloyd and Wood, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that was a yeah. That... I I couldn't read it, but it had a lot of beautiful photos. I remember when I looked in, at it. Um, but what's that one? What's that one about? Yeah, that's about uh, uh, you know beginners' uh, book about how to do woodwork, you okay. know, in the traditional way. How it's uh, it also has a lot of projects where you can start, you know, work, make your own knife, make your own mm. spoon, make your own dough bowl, and, and stuff like that uh, into it, a cutting board and a hanger, and mm. you know different you know working processes described there with examples in it and then in the middle i have a a, a chapter about the material and about the tools you know that uh, talking about how important the material is when you do Hmm. slide because it's uh, if you have good material it's easy to work with 
with the cutting tools. Yeah. If you have bad material, it's going to be really, really mm. hard. Yeah. But if you choose the right material, it's not just going to be easy. It's going to be a very strong and effective and long-lasting object mm. too, which is the forehand by being picky about what kind of material you, you pick yeah. Yeah. or you choose. Yeah. So that's the, the real connection there. Okay. And uh, I think we're, I'm into the fourth edition in Sweden, you know. Oh, wow. And we added some chapters in it in, in, this, in the third edition. So I'm, I'm pretty proud of that one. It's a, it's a good book and it still has very nice drawings by a woman called Annika Nordin, too. Hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. Cool. Well, um, yeah, I definitely recommend people checking that out. Um... Awesome. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know we could keep chatting and chatting and chatting. Um, hey, hey, no problem. I'm, I'm fine. It's Sunday night. And I would say that in, with this, with this, in writing this book is, is uh, completely different because I have the laptop in my mm. workshop. So I'm sitting there writing and then I'm working. And mm. while I'm working, I'm thinking about, you know, how to put the words right, right so you understand what I'm actually doing here. Oh, that's cool. And then I write it. So I, I just flip up the laptop and write a little and work a little and write a little. And I would say that that process is kind of interesting. It, it's getting much better if you do it like that instead yeah, of, yeah. you know, sitting there and thinking that you know exactly how right. it's done. Because you, <laughs> even though your body does know how it's done, it's not saying your mind can uh-huh. actually tell how it's done yeah so explaining it it's yeah that's cool that sounds like a really great way to write a book about what you're doing is to just do it while you're write it while you're doing it <laughs> yeah 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 i like that, that that's idea. amazing so now when the, the the pandemic has you know stroke sweden pretty tough you know and uh, since uh, a few weeks here we are you know, almost isolated. We we do some shopping, but I have no teaching and no lectures, no shows, nothing mm-hmm. at all. And I, I keep, you know, telling people that this is good because then now I can concentrate on making so many <laughs> objects to this book. So, and it's actually kind of nice to not, you know, travel around too much. I kind right. of like that normally, but right. I keep telling myself it's really nice. <laughs> You're able to focus on that book. In the the spring, probably, but no, it's uh, it's a you have to look at like that. It's for sure, for sure. That's great. You get to work on your book, and maybe it'll it'll be better for it. I'm gonna guess. Yeah, it sounds like it's gonna be. uh, It feels like it's gonna be really good, and you know, I uh, I've been to to the Nordic warehouse. I've been in Trondheim to the Sverdebori warehouse. Hmm. And I have some really, really nice pictures from there, Mm. you know, high resolution pictures. So I'm kind of, you know, I think it's, it's like candy for traditional woodworkers. Look (laughs) at these pictures, not just homework, of course, but the old traditional work would be, you know, really inspiring for people to just open the book and, and, you know, 
thinking, well, maybe I should do something like this, but I will change it a little to my style instead. <laughs> I would love to happen. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's so fun now. I mean, it's so fun nowadays to see on Instagram and Facebook, you know, because when I started, there was nothing like that. I mean, right. I was writing letters to Drew Langsner, and then I waited for three weeks, and I had another letter back, you know, <laughs> planning the classes. Uh, so, wow. and now you can really, you know, find the people all over the world, and it's so many good woodworkers out there. I'm so happy to to feel them, you know. Yeah, it's really it's 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 kind of mind blowing when I'm on Instagram looking at these people's work it's just it's sometimes it can be overwhelming just to see so so much but it's really cool that we can share so much so fast without you know it's very there's very little in between us right at this moment you know yeah and i'm really happy we have a we have a uh, education for slöjd in at Sätergläntan in Inshan in Sweden right yeah which is in the county of Dalarna and I, I've been teaching there since 86, you know, oh, wow. as a guest teacher, you know, both summer classes and on the, the one-year-based classes. You can actually go there for three years if you want hmm. to. And I'm so happy now to see after, you know, 25 years that some of the students are so good, you know, hmm. coming from there. You know, like uh, Björn Svantesson, Fejon Forst. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anja Sundberg and mm-hmm. you know professionally skilled and really really talented woodworkers yeah. and so I mean I feel really happy that you know I can you know <laughs> I can uh, lean myself back and think there is a future for craft mm. you know, which is which feels really nice and that's Not one bad. of my goals yeah keep I can't it, imagine keep it rough. Yeah, because you've been at it uh, probably one of the longest at it, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, we we are, you know, a a few people. Beth Moen is one of them and Mm -hmm. Raman is one of them, you know, still Mm -hmm. doing craft and and, uh, surviving on it. So I'm really happy they are, you know, my colleagues here in Sweden. Yeah. So, uh, and Beth is the main teacher at Sätergläntan and she's been doing oh, that for that. more than 15 years now. And I'm really happy. She's one of the best, you know, we got in the world, I would say, you know, doing axe work and uh, making right. these big bowls and, and she yeah. can do whatever, you know, she <laughs> wants. So she's, she's fantastic. That's so cool. And we've been together for a long time. We actually had a little band together in yeah. <laughs> when we were at school. That's so we, cool. We we were playing her songs and my songs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so she was she has a, she has a good voice and she's a good singer. So oh, that was nice. What do you yeah. play the do you play the guitar or bass or what do you play? Yeah, I play the guitar and sing. Yeah. Okay, cool. I can send you my DVD. You know, my oh. my CD. Yeah, I'd love, I'd love to have that. Do you have a CD recorder? I do, yep. My wife uh, is still an avid C- CD listener, so we do. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I Send me your address. I can send you my CD. And, awesome. And uh, you can practice some Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need some help. I need help with that. <laughs> it's kind of you know, it's kind of pop and rock and roll. It's kind of, I cool. mean, it's uh, some of the songs are still, you know, pretty good, I would say. But... And some of them are, yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm, some of them I'm proud of. Yeah. Now, and some of them are. <laughs> so you, you can give me the review later on. <laughs> cool. Yeah, well, uh, my wife and her family, they're huge rock uh, fans. So they can they can give you a little input as well since they're they're very well seasoned on their rock history. <laughs> okay. So she know knows about Europe for example. Uh the famous bands uh, uh, her her dad for sh- her dad for sure does. He's a uh, he's like the a Final Countdown. Do you know that song? It's I, don't, I don't I don't know. I I probably heard worldwide. it. I probably heard it. What? But... I'm sure I've heard yeah, it, but I don't know it off the top of my head. Um, but I'm sure my father-in-law... But you, can tell, you can tell her that uh, the guitarist in Europe is playing on some of my songs. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. That'll, that'll, mean, something, isn't that'll mean something, yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's so. amazing. Cool. Can't wait to hear yeah. that. Well, um, <laughs> it's been a real joy speaking with you, Joga, and... Um, we have one question that before we wrap our episode, we'd like to ask our guests and I'm sure you're going to have a great answer. And that is what does Sloyd mean to you? Uh, this is not going to be a short one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's great. Uh, uh, while I'm writing now, I've been thinking a little about that. And, and I stumbled upon a French word, which is called métier. Hmm which means that you have a call, which mm. means that you, you can't do anything else. And mm. that the working, the way you've been working during so many years, you know, been so deeply a part of you, that you, you actually dream about, you know, how to make things. Mm. And it's so, so implemented in your, mind and your body so it becomes a a metier and mm. that is is for you know a lot of different kind of craftsmen that are professionals in what they do and that really have good skills mm. so i would say my answer would be that slide is my metier my my call it's mm. it's something that i will never stop if my you know if my body is all right you know i would still just make it you know mm-hmm. so it's a part of my identity and it's a part of my tradition and it's a part of my 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 confident you know about the world is still a good place to be at because mm. you can do slow you know <laughs> so and and that feels pretty good i would say i mean and and since i'm also i mean it could always you can all, when you hear me say that, you can also think it's it's a very selfish way of solving, you know, your own life. But I would say that, you know, teaching and showing others and inspiring others others for me is 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 a big part of it, you know, uh, for the meaning of, of actually doing it too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And today with you know the 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 global heating and the consuming part of the world which is not sustainable for for the future mm-hmm. i would say that snoid is a surviving kit mm. you know it's a way for people to start make things and not consume things so much and, right. and uh, 
you know, take that knowledge and and just make things and yeah. feel better about it, you know, mm. for the world and for themselves. Well, that's Lloyd for me mm. today. Well said. Awesome. Wow, that's great. Well, um, very, very awesome to speak with you. And uh, I would love to, maybe once your book comes out, we could do another interview and talk a lot more about chip carving because um, I'm sure I have a lot more things I could ask you and we can hopefully get Mike here and I'm sure he would have a lot of things he'd like to ask you in the future. So um, if you, do you have anything else you'd like to to share with our listeners? What do you say? Excuse me? I said, do you have anything else you'd like to share with the listeners? Oh, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think I've been talking uh, pretty much right now. So... I, I hope you get an idea of, of uh, you know, what Sloyd is and that you get excited about keep keep doing craft. And, and remember that your first spoon is not going to be a good spoon, you know, <laughs> and your second yeah. is going to be a little better. But when you made about 30, 40, 50 of them, you know, it's going to happen, you know, mm-hmm. one day. And that's, I mean, it, this is a part of a journey which never ends. Mm. I, I still think that I can be a little better and it'll explore a little more and mm. find new ways of doing things and find new material that, you know, works in a different way. And that's that's uh, uh, a life which never stops exploring, you know, the tradition. It's so fun. So... That's my <laughs> words. Awesome. That's great advice. That's really good advice. I, I wish I had, a, had that when I first started. It took me a while to work through a lot of the kinks. <laughs> but um, Yeah. And also, I would, I would like to say that uh, I, I recorded a DVD about my father in 2013 when right. he was 87 years old. I was very happy that we, I actually raised the money on Kickstarter and, mm-hmm. and did this. And uh, uh, we, I produced about 1,500 copies mm. of that DVD, and it, it was sold out for a year ago. Mm. But now I, I pressed a second edition mm. with a new cover on it, and then we made a little booklet with the, the knife grab ah. grips that he's using in the book, in the, in the DVD. So you can, you know see a little drawing of them and having a description of it if you ah. if you buy that booklet so i'm just releasing that i'm i'm going to the the printing company tomorrow to get the cover oh, so cool. i'm really happy it comes out in the world again awesome. it's a little old fashioned with dvd but hey. it's, it's, you know love, it's physical I love DVDs. yeah i love it where can folks uh, i guess where can folks find you on the internet and where can they find that in particular if they want to get your books or that dvd uh, I sell it myself, and and I think that Dell Stubbs will sell it at the Pinewood Forge okay. in uh, Minnesota, and also Lee Nielsen has a downloading copy of it oh, okay. where you can buy it. Cool. But if people want to buy the new part with the new cover, they can just send an, an email to info at surule.se. Okay. And... Um, with their address and mail address and they get a PayPal invoice and then I send them from Sweden. I think it's going to awesome. be $35 something for, for the whole kit, you know, okay. with, with shipping. 
Yeah. To... Awesome. Wow. That's a great deal. Yeah. And the, the most important part of this is that uh, the profit from this goes to the Sunquest Cooper's Waith Fellowship, mm, yep. which gives uh, a, two prizes every year to craftspeople who want to share their work worldwide. Mm. And Jared Dahl had it, and uh, Robin Wood had it, Peter Fallensby had it, Beth Muen and Jojo Wood had it. So we want to continue that, you know, fellowship prize and and add some more money into that project. So mm. I'm really happy about that. That's awesome. That's great. Good cause. <clears throat> Very nice. Well, um, yeah, this, this has been a really enjoyable conversation, and I appreciate you coming on and um, joining us. And yeah, thank you so much. And hopefully, we can talk again in the future. Yeah, thank for thanks a lot for having me. It's it's really nice that you do this slide cost. I've just been waiting for a good slide cost. So keep on doing what you're doing. Awesome. Guys. That's thank really you. nice. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, you take care and uh we'll see you around on the internet. Okay. Keep carving, folks. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> take care, Joge. Yeah, bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, folks, that was an awesome chat. Don't have Mike here with me to uh, reflect on that, but um, I'm very pleased with that. And I just love uh, Joga's uh, his spirit and his whole attitude. It's just really inspiring to me. So hopefully everyone's uh, got a little bit of that to take with them. Um, let's see, a little bit of housekeeping, shopkeeping, I guess, as it were. Um, we've had just amazing... Uh, results with this podcast a lot of people listening so i'm really thankful to everyone that's taken the time to listen to this and uh sent us your feedback and shared it so uh, i just ask you if you are getting value out of this and you're listening to the end uh you're you're one of our diehard listeners so please share review all the different things that uh, will help spread the word about Sloydcast. um and yeah, we're just, you know, like I said, at the beginning, Mike's not here because he's working, he works a full-time job. So we're just fitting this in as we can at the moment. And uh, we're just letting it grow naturally. You know, this episode is going to be coming out a little bit later than we had hoped, just with the way things work out. But we're still uh, sticking to one a month and um, we'll just keep putting them out as we can. So yeah, thank you again for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.